My name is Brian. Me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on the 30th of October, 2019. Started, and we should say this is the fifth week of the month, so it's a lot of annuals and other weirdness. So extremely long issues. Yes, every comic was at least four pages too long. Um, but let's start with the first book from the Hill House uh, imprint, which I believe is Hill House, which is under Black Label, which is under <laughs> uh, DC. So it's like a it's like an imprint nesting doll. Uh, basket full of heads, number one, written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Leo Max. Um, for those who don't know, Joe Hill is Stephen King's son, and if you didn't know that, this book makes that very clear. <laughs> and, yeah. And I mean that in both a good and a bad way. This very much feels like a Stephen King short story from Night Shift, or uh, what's the other one he did? There's, there's another really good Stephen King short story collection that this feels like. Night Shift mm-hmm. is what I'm thinking of now. But um, there's, just, there's a lot of sort of King influence here. In addition to a clear reference to Shawshank Prison, um, and but, and Derry County, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is interesting because Joe Hill, uh, rightfully and and admirably, tried to start out his career by distancing distancing himself from his father's name to try to prove that he could make it on writing chops and not a famous name. And I think he has. I've been a fan of his for a while, but I think it's funny that now, like, now he's pulling out a big sign saying, like, hey, guess who my dad is? Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he's done, like, a lot of work with him, too. Like, they've done, they've, like, started co-writing things together. So I think he kind of, like, he kind of made it there for a while. You know, he did uh, Lock and Key. He had one of his books adapted into a movie. Uh, starring Daniel Radcliffe. Um, so yeah, I think he kind of, you know, since he made it, he's a little bit less hesitant to to flex that connection and and just you know. And I think sense. it's fine. I think there's no, yeah. yeah there, there, I didn't mean any shade by that, but um, yeah. Oh, guys, I liked this. I liked this a lot. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, I think. Number like number one, the art was fantastic. Almost had kind of like a Doc Shaner vibe to it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Leo Max is I I had never seen his stuff before Same. this. Same. Um, now I can't get enough of it. <laughs> so he so in case you guys don't know, he's an Italian artist, and Leo <laughs> Max. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> He's my he's my paisan. What? I'm... I I know I'm I'm resisting doing the whole uh, Gavagul's Sopranos. We're gonna go down this rabbit hole that we always do because uh, I know Zach needs to get to bed. But um, uh, anyway, Leo Max's art is fantastic, and if you do, like g- Google his other work, it's great. But this is just so like, and Dave Stewart's colors really help with this. But it so captures that like late 70s early 80s like the the way that the period looked and the way that the the movies of the time looked this like this feels feel- like jaws yes yeah perfect that's that is yes ah that's a great way to say it because like visually that's what it looks like that's what the characters look like that's how they dress that's how, how the talk. atmosphere the, yep the atmosphere yes 100% yeah, it's good. I mean, it, it's very, very good. Um, has a great hook in the beginning. The characters are all really distinct. Um, like the characters, again, like kind of like tying it back to like the Stephen King short story feel. They they all like there are some like really um, kind of over the top, semi skeevy ish character like characters that i get bad vibes from mm-hmm. uh, the, al- like the, the alpha mom. preppy son and the mom uh-huh yeah the yeah. super sweaty mayor <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the ned beating yep. mayor <laughs> yeah yeah it, that that's another way that it's kind of like those films in which like um you've almost got these like 80s trope characters like like the son who's like the 
the prep tennis, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like alpha guy, like frat boy. Um, one that's, Darsh. Yeah, that's yep, yep. So, but I think that's appropriate for a for like a miniseries or a short story. You know, we don't need them to be these like incredibly deep characters, but they're they have distinct personalities, and I think the 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 main character uh, or characters, I guess, like the 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 couple, mm-hmm. uh, like the summer romance couple, June um, and. Uh... June and I, yeah, I didn't write the names down, um, but but they're very they're yeah their dialogue was very snappy and felt pretty true to life, um, and and you got I feel like that's a that's a thing that's so key to these like horror short stories is that you establish these characters for like seventy five percent of this issue before you start to send the twists at them. Um, and I think this does a really good job of that. Yeah, in a way, it, it's kind of ballsy because in, in in fact, not really much happens in this issue, right? A lot of this issue is setting up the overarching story. And I both feel like today's comics audiences want more shit to happen per issue than ever before. And so, in some ways, that's a ballsy move, but it also really does establish this world and these characters as something I do care about. This really did give me the vibe of a Stephen King short story or an early 80s like slasher movie. And say what you want about those type of things, they're always super heavy on vibe, and the vibe is what sell- was what sold me on this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This yeah. is good. If the rest oh, of Hill House is this good, I'll be thrilled. <laughs> I also I wanna highlight Dave Stewart again because I just think that like so the the comic takes place at the end of summer transitioning into fall and like schools starting back up and and you know the the kids who have summer jobs are are either you know, going on to adulthood or they're going back to school or whatever, or going to college, whatever. And you really feel that in the art and particularly in the colors, lots of like autumnal colors, these like dry greens, browns, oranges, you know, I, I love the choices that he makes where like, there's several scenes where the sky itself is this like olive green color. Mm Mm-hmm. That's not a natural color you'd ever see in real life, but it suggests an atmosphere, right? Same with there, there's an orange color that the sky is like during the um, during the dinner at the uh, the chief's house or whatever. Uh huh. And then that orange sky then becomes the same color as the lake or the water, or whatever it is. Yeah. And it's just it's these like washes of color that don't really like you said, connect logically that just works so well as backdrops for the, for these scenes. Mm-hmm. I, I wish like traditional, you know, I think most colorists do pretty good work these days. Most professional colorists in at DC and Marvel in particular, since we're talking generally about superhero comics on our show, do a, a, a good job, a serviceable job with coloring. I wish they would go for some of these oddball palettes a little more often to, to suggest a mood rather than to try to convey some sense of realism, you know? Well, I mean, there's a reason that Multiversity calls its end of the year best colorist <laughs> award, the Dave Stewart award, right? He's just, yeah. he's the industry standard. He's the best, but yes. I agree. I wish more people took the sort of more uh, impressionistic approach as opposed to trying to make things literally look the way they look in real life. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Excellent. Anything else to add to this, Zach? Nope. All right. Well, let's move on to our second book then, which is the finale of Deceased. Deceased number six. Uh, So I I had texted Vince before uh, that I had reread the entire Deceased run, both the miniseries and that one shot we got featuring Constantine 
and uh, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold and all that. And I do want to talk about sort of that that particular issue in relation to everything else in a minute. But we should say this was written by Tom Taylor and illustrated by Trevor Harrison. I know that this is a book that we started off not super strong on. But I got to tell you guys, I really enjoyed this series. It's really good. <laughs> uh, it sticks the landing um, in pretty much every way. I think like there were some great beats in this issue. It is better than it has any right to be. Um, but I mean, I've gushed about this series before. What you guys talk? <laughs> well, I gushed too. Uh, on the last episode when we did our top tens, because I put this in my top ten. I did too. Was... I put it at like number four or five, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, I did that without even having read the, the last issue yet. And uh, it does totally stick the landing, uh, which we'll talk about the ending, uh, which has more in common with the ending of the uh, Dinosaurs TV show than you would think. Um, <laughs> But uh, but the the thing that I love most about this comic, because I, I did, we talked about it, I had some problems with the art in this book, and the, those problems did kind of pop in in this last issue too. Um, but the book ultimately overcomes that for me by just being like the best kind of fan service, I think. When I was reading this issue... I thought about when I was a kid and we had a comic shop in a city 15 minutes away from where I lived that I hardly ever went to, but like I would have friends, I had older friends that would go and get comics. And so my, my way into comics as a, as a very young kid was either through my older brother or through some of my older friends who would buy comics and they would tell me things that they read in the comics and the way that they would just, they would describe the big moments, like when a character did something particularly cool and this, and then we would imagine like other ways that characters could use their powers or whatever, you know, like the coolest thing when I was a kid was that the idea that Wolverine could regenerate from a single cell, you know what I mean? Yep. Um, this comic is nothing but those moments. Like <laughs> wonder what, Wonder Woman imbuing the sword of Athena with kryptonite to try to kill an infected Superman is like something we would have all talked about on the playground as like a possible thing that could happen. It would be really cool, <laughs> you know, and that only goes so far because you don't like that is a very childish way to uh, approach media. But, you know, superhero comics are at their core of a silly and goofy thing. And I feel like you can have a series that's just made up of those moments and it could be good. And, and Tom Taylor is so good at that, you know, um, like Dinah as a green lantern, creating a big megaphone construct that then she does yep. the canary cry into that. That's like, that's, that's, that's slamming the chocolate and peanut butter together. You know, that's like, that's like discovering the fluffernutter sandwich <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> You know, it's it, like 10 year old me would have just lapped this up like nothing else. Um, and I, I man, I, now I'm gushing. Brian, you you talk in more like uh, regular human adult words about this comic than I can because I'm a we'll kid see. again now. We'll, we'll see if I can do that. Um, <laughs> all right. So a couple of things about this. First of all, I feel like I don't know how it's possible that Tom Taylor can do the perfect voices for all of these characters, but that seems to be the case here. Like, there is not a character in this book that I felt was misrepresented by Taylor's dialogue at all. And usually when you're doing a big a big book like this that features so many different characters, you can't help but have one or two of them sound off. And unless I'm forgetting something, I really don't think he ever did that over the course of this book. His Ollie is fantastic. His his Clark is really, really spot on. Uh, in this issue, 
his Dinah and his guy Gardner particularly stood out to me as being particularly good. Um, he just can he just can mimic these tones in a really impressive way, and so on. Nothing else but that I was very impressed with this series. I will also say that he did he did write by a lot of characters that I think other writers may have not thought to spotlight here. Like I thought that his characterization of Lex Luthor was particularly very good throughout this series. Um, and in this issue in particular, I think his characterization of um, Poison Ivy was especially great. Uh, there's just, mm-hmm. he just, he just nails all these characters and that, that just doesn't happen in comics that often. We just don't get people with this grip on this diverse a group of characters. Um, I, I also have to say, like, you know, when you think about the fact that he did this book that killed off at the end of the, at the end of the book, we are without, uh, Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne, Barry Allen, Hal Jordan, <laughs> Diana Prince, you know, most a uh, Martian Manhunter, Cyborg, most of the sort of core Justice League members are all dead at the end of this. And yet, I can't wait to read more stories to take place in this world, if possible. I hope so. Which, it looks like we might get. Do you know something we don't know? No, uh, Zach, sorry, you keep going. I I interrupted you. No, no, do you know something we don't know? No, but the end of the book, when they say we're going to go do a fresh start on Earth 2. Yeah. Or they're going to to make an Earth 2. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, they do another miniseries on Earth 2. Um, With Damien batman and john and john superman yeah maybe like wait a wait a few years for them to be a little bit older maybe you know two or three years pick up um it's it's sold so well that i can't imagine them not doing it right yeah so i don't know anything i don't have any inside info but it's like why wouldn't they yeah i I feel like there's like sorry go ahead oh go ahead brian no you, you go please well, I was just gonna say I think that there are enough loose threads to uh, to continue on. You know, you've still got Superman in the Sun. You've still got Wonder Woman on the old Earth. Um, you have whatever was going on with Constantine. <laughs> yeah, that, that never that paid off. off. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, which and... it feels like so deliberate because they made an extra one shot outside yes. of the series to like <laughs> set that up. Um, which I don't know if you wanted to talk about that specifically, Brian. Well, yeah, so I, like I said, I, I reread everything today, including that one shot, and I read it all in publication order, so I read the one shot between issues four and five, and all during issue six, I was like, all right, we're going to have Constantine show up here any second, and then he never does. And so yeah. I wonder if that was deliberately setting the stage for a sequel, or if that was just a... Uh, you know, I don't know what, but it was very odd to, they, they made that whole issue to then do nothing with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see like, you know, I don't know what they'd call it. Deceased earth two or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just catch up with these characters, tell, you know, tell a story about the anti-life equation again, or do something completely different. Um, because this cast, you know, like looking at the last page, you've got, you know, Damien and John as the new Batman and Superman. You've got Dinah as Green Lantern, Ollie's Green Arrow. You've got Hot Girl, Vixen, Black Lightning, Firestorm. And Black Lightning's daughter, too. And Black Lightning's daughter, yeah. Who we haven't seen in forever. I love that that uh, Tom Taylor busted her out. Yeah, so like such a cool... You know, you've got the potential for this new kind of younger Justice League and kind of the old guard. You've got Dinah. I think Dinah as a Green Lantern is just like the coolest thing in the world. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I still I think uh, Wallace still survives, too. 
Um, and I think Mira is alive too. Um, I think they both are in the issue. You don't see them at the end, but they're still alive. Um, so yeah, just good stuff. Cassie, Cassie Sandmark. Yep. Mm -hmm. Is that her name? Sandmark? Mm -hmm. Sandmark? Sandsmark. Sandsmark. Okay. Yeah. She's alive. So yeah, you've kind of got the like beginnings of a, you know, core new Justice League, really. Um, uh, Come on, Tom Taylor. You got to do it. (laughs) You got to do it to him. Got to do it to him. (laughs) I think he'll do it. I think as long as there's a, uh, I think it's, I mean uh, the book sold so well, like you said, Vince. I can't imagine them not doing it now. Mm-hmm. I think I think that Tom Taylor should do a sequel where the Sun Eater from DC One Million and Super All Star Superman comes and eats the Sun with Anti Life Superman in it and gets the Anti Life Equation and then comes to the New Earth and they have to fight. Oh baby, I, I hope life equation sun god thing. I hope Tom Taylor's not listening to this because now he can't use that idea. <laughs> he can use it, it's fine. I give him permission. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it works. <laughs> you're gonna see you're gonna see those sales numbers and you're gonna get dollar signs in your eyes. Oh no, no, I'm in it I'm in it for the story. If he if <laughs> he, he can pay me by drawing me into the story, having having the artist draw me into the story. That's all I want. Well, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> um, well, listen, let's, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the last three books of the week. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with the second half of our fifth week bonanza we've got joker killer smile number one written by jeff lemire illustrated by andrea sorrentino the dream team from green La- green arrow rather and gideon falls is back uh yet another black label joker book because we didn't have enough to begin with oh, i'm so glad uh I mean, it's so just, good I'm, I'm glad someone's telling the story you'd love I, to see it i'd love to see it so, you know, this is like the perfect example for me of a creative team I was very excited about and a book I wasn't at all, and a topic I wasn't at all excited about. Um, and I think I could probably speak for you guys in a similar vein there. So, Zach, let's start with you. What did you think of this of this issue? Uh, I thought it was beautiful. Just absolutely gorgeous. Those op- You open up those pages and you've got the greens and the purples, which are not usually in... Um, well, so I didn't check and see, who did the colors on this. Uh, uh, is it... oh, oh, wow. Okay. The yes. other best colorist in the industry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm so used to seeing Sorrentino with Milo. Yeah, who I love, too. I do love Marcelo Milo's work. Me, too. Yeah, but this is, like, so different. Um, and I just love the way that the colors pop on this um, with, you know, the green and purple balloons and Oh, it's just, I love it. It looks so good. Um, and like all throughout the issue, the coloring is so good. Um, I would say that I really was not into this at all. Um, really until we get to the bit with the storybook and even not necessarily the storybook itself. But the, when, it, when it calls back. But but yeah, what it what it does and kind of like what it sets up. Um, really, I guess the book it got interesting me for me when uh, the main character Ben, yeah Ben, ben uh, wakes up in the middle of the night 
and he sees a a sees a bal- a freaking balloon and a freaking Rorschach symbol and he hears something and he goes downstairs and he's all loopy and there's there's stuff going on. I don't know. I don't know what's up, but uh, it's interesting. He seems almost possessed by this children's book that then the Joker references to him the next time they're together. He seems yeah. like he almost has some kind of sick fascination with the Joker. <laughs> A character so devious he finds the idea of crime funny. <laughs> uh, Vince, what do you think of this? Uh, well, I'll get my I'll get my compliments out of the way. Um, I second Zach on the colors, which looked great. The art looked fantastic, um, especially the the first few pages, but really all throughout. Um, but I liked some of the tricks that the first few pages pulled, like, um, when the balloons are all rising through the city and then the panel itself is like a a balloon almost. Mm -hmm. And then in the next, on the next page, the panels are popping. It's literally like, um, graphic lettering with art inside it of balloons popping. Yep. And, uh. You know, then the punch, Batman punches the Joker yeah. and the and the punch wording is the panel as well. All that stuff looks fantastic, is eye-catching. It leads your eye across the page in a really interesting way. Um, I think the rest of the art looks great, too. I think his Joker looks great. It, it's almost like the um, Heath Ledger Joker, like in the face he's got kind of that wide face um wide so serious yeah yep yep um it's not exactly the heath ledger joker but like you could imagine that it's of the same there's an inspiration there i think um the story did nothing for me because i'm just I, i don't know how many times i can say it I'm just so sick of this. We read Harleen, or I read Harleen this week as well. The second issue came out. We're not we're not really going to talk about it, but it featured many scenes of her psychoanalyzing the Joker. And then you've got a book where this Ben Arnell, which sounds like a name that is an anagram for something, but it's not. <laughs> um, you've run it through it, anagram generators? <laughs> I haven't, but I just, you know, it's not. Uh, but, um, you know, that it's got him psychoanalyzing the Joker and it's just, it's just such well-worn territory. I don't understand like what we're getting. I like Zach, you're right. There's something to the story, this storybook that is, I guess, different from, from other Joker stories. But at the end of the day, it's just such well-worn, like, we're going to get inside the Joker's head and and figure out how he ticks. I'm going to be the first one to do it. Oh, I'm becoming dangerously obsessed with this madman. Like, it, oh, so many times before have we seen this. And it's just not interesting to me anymore. You're right. Like the balloon, him, him waking up, seeing the balloon pop. It's a Rorschach symbol. He's got a Rorschach symbol on his wall above the fireplace, which we see when he comes home. Um to his family that night. I mean, he's a psychiatrist, so that's weird. It is what it is, but you know, every psychiatrist has a Rorschach blot in their living room. That's just common knowledge. It's mandated Um, by the, uh, by the American psychiatric association or whatever. Yep. Yep. We see a, a, a retelling of kind of the Joker fish again, told in a very interesting artistic way. Uh, we see uh, Craig Finn from the Hold Steady dead on the toilet. Yes, you texted uh, me that Vince. That is one hundred percent the reference for that character. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so there's all this artistic stuff that's great, but I feel like any time I talk about a Joker story these days, it's me finding the interesting things that the artist is doing, and just being tired of the story that the writer is telling. And I think there's some value in that. And certainly there's enough people who like Batman and love the Joker to for them to keep publishing these books until the end of time. But I I just I cannot find a way into these books anymore. I can't 
the art is the only thing bringing me along. Same. Yeah. yeah. And it, Batman's well mostly bad anyway now. Ah, that's right. He's he's toxic. Yeah. yeah, he is toxic. I've been saying it forever. You you were, you were really in on the ground floor of that. <laughs> he he kills people with stray batterings all the time. <laughs> Don't you know it? Um, here, here's what I'll say about this book. I, I was thinking about this earlier today when I read the issue the first time, and I I, I finished it. And I was like, "What's something wrong with that with that story?" You know, it's it's well written, it's well illustrated, sort of all the things we've mentioned here. But I realized that it's a story that if it had come out 15 years ago, I probably would have really enjoyed it. And not because of where I was 15 years ago, but because of where comics were 15 years ago. And there, just were, there wasn't this glut of Joker stories. And while I, I feel like the Joker used to be something that was trotted out to show you a Batman story was really important. Right, like when Joker showed up, it was a big deal, and it wasn't Joker was in every single thing that you're getting, and now we're just so oversaturated with it that I feel like I don't know how you would tell a Joker story today that would really stand out. I don't know if you could. It is just there. There is such, there is such a glut of Joker stories. I just. I, and it's a little bit unfair that I'm painting this more or less perfectly fine comic with the ugh, the Joker brush, but we just get so much of it. That's the only way I can really express myself here. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you're right. Like, there is just way, there's way too much. I mean, it, you, you can have too much of anything, uh, and the Joker's not even a particularly good thing to begin with, so... <sighs> Yeah, I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're being unfair either in the context of our podcast, because I think whenever we approach these like. Um, uh, first of all, it's 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 from the prism of doing a podcast where we try to read as many of these books as we can. But I think we always say or at least I always try to say that, like. Look, technically, this is a good book. I've just had enough of it. I I almost always say, like, if you're a Batman and Joker fan, you're going to find something to like in this book. Unless it's a bad book, in which case we... T I don't think that's what we're saying, you know? No, I don't think there's anything about this comic that is below average. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the same with, like, that... That's the same with Harleen. That's it's the same, same with, with... the Criminal uh, Sanity the cri book. Criminal Sanity... We we had nice things to say about the books in a vacuum, with the with the realization that like there's only so much of this we can take. It's 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 I guess it's different for people that pick one of these books and they're gonna read it. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if if this is the one Joker book you pick this year, great. If you've had to read three or four, like what diminishing returns. Yeah, I don't. It, I don't know how else I can contextualize it, having read all these. What I don't understand about this book in particular is I don't think Lemire is the type of guy who. I don't think he at this point in his career he is taking phone calls from DC on work for hire stuff. I think he is pretty much the one pitching them on stuff. And I can't imagine somebody as well-read as Lemire feeling like, I've got an interesting take on the Joker, and then telling this story. Mm -hmm. I just don't get that. That's what I don't understand for me. Sort of what led Lemire to feel like he had to tell this story. Unless there's something really revelatory in the future that we're going to get. But if that's the case, it should have been here in this first issue to distinguish it from all the other Joker books we get. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's all just, it's all just white noise right now. I think for me, I, I, yeah, it's just, I, I can't, I can hardly even think about it because of how monotonous it is at this point. Yeah. Anything else to say about this book? No. 
I did think of kind of a fun thing for us to do today that you guys are probably going to hate. <laughs> oh, fuck. But what if we split up and each of us took one of the three Joker or Harley books and just filled the other ones in on it? My response to that is that I'm going to read them all. <laughs> no <matter laughs> well, that's I your read... fault then, motherfucker. I'm trying to give you an easier way out here. But it's not you. It's not. It's not the fault of the show that I'm sick in the head to do this. Well, I read, I read almost every. I read every book this week, and they were I'm, all long. I even read I'm, Nightwing the annual. Oh you are insane. You are My insane. result is I'm. I'm only gonna read Joker Smile anyway. So there you okay. go. <laughs> Wait, Joker Smile, or Joker's Trick? Yes, Joker's Trick. Okay. All right, if some if DC gives the Joker's Trick account a, a Joker Black Label book, I'm I'm back in. Okay. Well, that's like definitely the next thing that's going to happen after Drill getting a TV show. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> By the way, uh, did I tell you guys? Point, truth point. Wednesdays, 11 uh, p.m. Central on Adult Swim. I have not <laughs> watched it yet. How is it? I mean, it's if you've ever watched those Adult Swim streaming shows, they're yeah. extremely low effort. Yes, theirs is probably the highest effort one, but it's him and Derek sitting at a table, like it, it, doing improv banter with one another, and it's 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 funny, but it's not funnier than both of their Twitter accounts. So okay, fair enough. Anyway, yeah. Uh, speaking of Twitter accounts, I have to give you guys a Shazam's trick update. Uh, you got you got banned for fighting with Nazis. No, I have not done anything. Ever since I set that up, I have literally not tweeted a thing. I just set up the, the, the bot and I let it go. But uh, I got to see how many followers this person has first. A a big-time Twitter person liked one of the Joker's trick tweets, uh, the Shazam's trick tweets, which is just holy moly over and over again. And that is comedian Rob Delaney. <laughs> I am not. I took a screen grab of it. I'll show it to you guys later. Hilarious. So we've made it, guys. Star star of catastrophe. Yes. Wow. Wow. He of 1.5 million Twitter followers like the Shazam's trick tweet. I knew he was such a big Shazam fan. Holy moly, indeed. Uh, all right, well, let's get to the Sandman Universe Presents Hellblazer, number one. Written by Simon Spurrier, illustrated by Marcio Takara. A, a top-notch creative team on the first Sandman Universe book I've read in almost a year. <laughs> Vince, start us off. Yeah. What do you think? Um, Are you doing this because I'm the Hellblazer boy? <laughs> You are the Hellblazer, yeah, yes, exactly. One hundred percent. You have recently read most of Hellblazer, all of it, or, the, or you've you've skimmed certain runs, but you have read at least some of every run of Hellblazer. Yes, and I and I and yes, I've read most issues of Hellblazer. Um, so, can I open up by saying that I have kind of a tumultuous uh, history with reading Cy Spurrier books? Sure. So I, I think he's probably a really good writer. <laughs> Everybody that I respect really likes Cy Spurrier's work. Um, and when I read it, I think it's probably good. I just feel incredibly dumb. Not and, and he shares some similarities in that way with Grant Morrison. But when I read Grant Morrison, I feel really smart. <laughs> But Cy Spurrier makes me feel really dumb because half the time I have no idea what's happening or why. And I kind of felt that with this book, too. And I don't know what to do about that. And part of it is the book is structured. So if you've ever read. okay, DC has not really known what to do with John Constantine. For like the last 20 years or so. Um. So he went through kind of a few different status quos, I think, in the in the Vertigo series. But ostensibly, it was the same Constantine, just aging. You would catch him at different points in his life, you know. Right. 
Um, but definitely different thematic focuses from run to run. Once the new 52 started, all bets were off because the Constantine or Constantine, I should say, of the um, new 52, completely different, completely different supporting cast, basically no history, kind of a very stupid, like I just read that new 52 run and it was not very good. And really had no ties to the Constantine of the Vertigo Hellblazer in any meaningful way. Um, the great thing about Hellblazer is that it had this amazing supporting cast that would kind of come in and out of, of John's life. And those were the most effective moments, I felt, of reading these 300 issues uh, where like ghosts of his past would continually haunt him those were that was always the best thing this this like cheeky bastard constantine oh oh i'm so over magic like that is that's the part that doesn't interest me because he's just a smug dickhead and to me that's not as fun to read as a guy who's legitimately haunted by the things that he's seen and the things that have happened to his friends and family and the people in his life and this hellblazer uh, i know i'm being long-winded here but this Hellblazer special actually does a really good job of merging those two aspects of him because half of the issue is very much like, oh, I'm so over magic. Oh, what crazy shit is going to happen next type thing. And I, I don't connect with that stuff at all. I think that that's a Constantine that doesn't interest me. But then they do kind of pull in some references to some of the more personal aspects um, like his relationship with Chaz, the driver. Mm-hmm. Um, they hint around the edges of his relationship with uh, a woman named Kit, who played a very emotional role in the Hellblazer Constantine's uh, life. And so, uh, you know, those moments really worked for me because that's the that's the that's the John that I like. That's the Hellblazer that I really like. Those were the best. Uh, parts of reading reading that series and so this issue does both but i still felt very stupid at times because john would go from one place to the other and he seemed to go back and forth in time or different worlds and i didn't 100 get why some of it was happening and i'm just stupid so that you know spurrier lost me at times um wasn't that kind of the point though Yes, but that's always the that always seems to be the point with his writing, you know, and it's different from it's different from when Morrison does it, because I feel when Morrison does it, there's rules and I don't really get for some reason when I read Spurrier, there's like no rules or rhyme or reason, you know, and that's on me. I'm not putting that on him. I just think that like. I, for some reason, I don't connect with his writing. It was the same when, like, he did, like, the Legion stuff with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Could not make heads or tails of that shit. Well, maybe I'm, like, missing some stuff because I definitely, like, don't have the the Constantine background. But I, I kind of, like, took it. It's like, okay, you have this Constantine at some point in the future. Stuff goes down. And then he gets, like, rebooted, essentially. Yes. And it incorporates, it seems like it, there's that like page that has Keanu Reeves. A bunch, yeah, it has a, like a bunch of different versions Keanu, of Constantine. It has Sting, it has uh, yeah. some of the greatest hits of Constantine's looks. Um, and so it's almost kind of just like we're getting this distillation of Constantine. Well, for sure again. that, for sure that's what the, that's what the mission statement is, but like, it is so random to me. Like, why is it happening? I don't have that tether to anything. I mean, I think that that's going to be the point of the ongoing. Maybe, maybe I'm just saying, I'm just, this is what always happens when I read a Spurrier book. And that's interesting. uh... I don't think I have any, that this is not a, this is not a good thing on my behalf. I, I know I've read lots of Spurrier. I have no opinion on him one way or the other. (laughs) His books have just been kind of there for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I've liked some of his stuff. I think. But I honestly can't even tell you. So I'm not the guy to be talking to about the Spurrier history. What I can say about this issue, though, is that 
I thought that the first maybe third of the issue when we're getting him seeing the adult Tim Hunter, you know, fucking up the world and him almost dying and selling the soul, I found that stuff super compelling. I found the stuff in the mental institution less compelling, and I found the last third of the book when he's sort of out of the out of the institution and figuring out his next move, I found that the least compelling of the book. Mm-hmm. Though I'll say Marcio Takara's art was excellent throughout. Oh, yeah. Beautiful looking book. Yeah. Zach, um, about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of agree with you. I think I maybe liked the book a little bit more overall. I, I really did like where it left off. Um, so I, I am like excited to pick back up with this and it, and it seems like, you know, in particular the Hellblazer book and the books of magic book are going to be building off of this, which is really interesting for books of magic. Makes me want to go back and catch up on that. Um, I thought it was interesting how many things were highlighted like in text, but not shown, you know, we get callbacks or we get calls to like Etrigan and, um, Swamp Thing's daughter. I yeah. can't remember her name off the top of my head right now. Uh, um, starts with a T, I think. Abby's right? yeah. girlfriend. Te- Tefe Holland. Te- Tefe? Tefe. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Tefe. Yeah, we get a reference to her. We get a reference to Zatanna. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the you know, way, and do, then, do you know how that? Do you know how that? Uh... Yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> okay. why he said my my like sort of. Yeah. Right. But not daughter, but not or whatever. And then yeah. there's just like weird descriptive things, like um, you know, a fiery Norwal hits an hits an archangel or sticks blind golem softly plunging themselves on a Volkswagen, and like that's for, it, that's yeah, yep. yeah. You like, but you don't see any of that, which is kind of like the thing I complained about in the second issue of um, Batman Last Night on Earth, and mm. I, I don't really like like. As set dressing, it's really cool, but I would always rather see that stuff than have it described. I guess. Yep. Um, not really every valid. not everything is sea beams glittering off the whatever from from Blade Runner. Yeah, where he, exactly. Where he describes this insane thing that you never see, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, which uh, yeah, this is not that necessarily, and it, it's just kind of like extraneous text that in a visual medium like comics, I would rather just see that happening, mm-hmm. you know? So. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause that's, that's part of my hang up with Spurrier too. And uh, again, like I, I, I think he's probably a good writer and that those are really interesting ideas. I just think they don't. Yeah. Extraneous is right when they don't play out on the page in, in, in any form or fashion. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't know. This is not a bad book. I think it's a very good... I think if you're a Spurrier fan, you're going to like it. And I think if you're a Hellblazer fan, it captures all the different... all the different colors in the spectrum of Hellblazer. And and it... I enjoyed the issue when it touched on the ones that I like. You know, yeah. I, I think there's something for everyone. It's certainly better than the, the New 52 stuff, I think. Oh, by, oh um, yeah. Oh, yeah. By a long shot, um, it's and the, even even better than some of it than like the rebirth, you know, the Constantine that we're getting in like Justice League Dark or something like that. You know, it's absolutely. And you know, Tynion and uh, Ming Doyle's uh, DCU mm-hmm. Hellblazer mm-hmm. was a very good. I think that was a very good comic, but there is still something to be said that if you don't have that mature Vertigo vibe. It's not really the same thing. And that comic came pretty close, but this this is the the real deal shit. You know, this is yeah. This feels like Hellblazer picking back up again from issue 300. Mhm. I think that's a good place to to wrap up our discussion of this book and to move on to our final book of the uh, of the week we should mention we were going to try and read the last god but yeah i read it i just don't have much to say about it i think that's kind of how we all feel yeah so um so yeah let's talk about tales from the dark multiverse the death of superman number one 
written by Jeff Loveness, illustrated by Brad Walker. Um, <laughs> so the, the the first thing I wrote down about this book was uh, just my commentary on the sort of first scene, which is, Hi, I'm Tempest Fuganaut. You might remember me from such comics as Sideways and Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Batman Nightfall. Like, he just basically introduces himself all over again here. How many fucking times are we going to get this? He's going to do that in every one of these issues, you know? Yeah. He is. It's it's going to be for it's going to be for people who are only picking up one or two of these, you know? <laughs> and he yeah. has a he has a romantic abnormality as well. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> oh, please, Tony. I just ate a whole plate of dingo magoo. I love you like I love Fresca. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, I hate every chimp I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. All right, anyway. Um, yeah, you'll never make a monkey out of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what do you guys... So, you know, the, the first two Tales in the Dark Multiverse books... Were sort of DC's two biggest '90s stories, Nightfall and the Death of Superman, and um, I had more recently read the Death of Superman than I had Nightfall, so I I am not quite Vince level of knowledge about the source material, but I, I said I had read this not that long ago, so I thought it was an interesting take on that. I think I enjoyed this book from that perspective more than I enjoyed the Nightfall one because I just of my familiarity with the with the original source material. Um Zach, when was the last time you read either of these books? I've never read Nightfall. Okay. So and what you... I've actually ne- I've actually never read all of Death of Superman, but I did read the Roger Stern novelization of it. Yes, we <laughs> we have been through that before. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you think of this? And I guess you're a good person to start with here. Then. I I liked this less than the Nightfall one. Interesting. Why is that? It didn't do anything. The Nightfall one, at least, like Vince, uh, you know, talked about when we talked about it. It like went places. Yeah. It did things. This was just nothing. Um, this, this was exactly what you would expect. Yeah. Hey, here's it, a, here's an event from the past. Here's one little twist on it. Yeah, one small twist, and it's also like the most like dark multiverse thing, which is like, what if the heroes just killed everyone? You know, which it's the the least interesting take, I think. Um, but yeah, and like literally the only difference with how this goes down is Lois is the Eradicator, and that leads to things happening just a little different. Um, the art was, the art was good. I like Brad Walker. You don't get to see him on pencils that much. Um, I, you know, I, I guess the only good thing I can say about this compared to the Nightfall issue is I think that this kind of like dark eradicator Lois is a more interesting character to carry into whatever this crisis thing is than the nanobot Batman uh, that, but that's literally the only good thing. Uh, the only thing I can say in comparison to the Nightfall issue. And do you think that's going to happen? I think so. Yeah. That. And do you think they're going to be? They're they're going att- to attempt to be heroes or redeem themselves. Maybe some of them. Yeah. That's. Oh yeah. See. That was my hope for this when I heard that that Tempest was going to be going around looking for heroes. And yet. All of these characters feel so irredeemable (laughs) that like I don't want to read another comic with them. Yeah, well, see, like, I don't I don't know. I think, again, this could go so many ways. I don't think that like the nanobot Batman is redeemable. I think like this Lois is maybe redeemable. Sure. And. She did try to stop banks, end wars, free prisoners. Stop. She did. Jeff. Jeff, that... Jeff. Stop. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, that was actually actually interesting. <laughs> Last yeah. week we had Billy Batson arguing for universal basic income. This yeah. week we have Lois Lane trying to take down the banks. We're, uh... Who's who's putting politics in my comics, you guys? <laughs> um, so. I have sort of three comments I wanted to get to. It First, is pretty sad that the bad guys only do those things, though. But. <laughs> that is true, yes. Um, 
So while I enjoyed the sort of references to the original Death of Superman in this more than I did the Nightfall one, like I said before, I think that ultimately the the Death of Superman one basically was retelling the story up to a certain point, and then it took this like very sharp turn towards murderous Lois, right? Whereas like you said, Zach, or Vince, I forget which one you said it, like, I think Zach said it this time, referencing Vince last time, the the Batman story told a totally different new story. This felt like half a new story and half a retread, and the new story still felt somewhat retreadish. Um, I will say that I think that, I think that Lois is a far more interesting character to follow for an issue than Asriel was or Nano Batman. I think it's a worse written comic, but I think it's a more interesting character. Um, and what I'll also say is that I think that this one had just such a bleak ending that the ending really sort of undid any goodwill the rest of the issue bought you. Because Superman being like, I know we were told he's not coming back, but here he is again, and oops, he's dead again. That was just a really shitty ending, and a a very depressing ending if you're looking for some sort of um, lift at the end of the book, or some sort of resolution. None of that is there. So I think that anything good that happened in this book was pretty much un- instantly negated by the ending. And I don't know how much good happened in this book to begin with. I did like the one I, moment where Lois had Lex in space and she said he was Clark Kent before she killed him. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of enjoyed that moment. There were there were uh, there was a good moment here and there. There was a good like um you know having history with these characters and then doing a little twist on them. There was a uh, an interesting thematic idea here and there. None of which were explored. Just I'm just talking about tossed off ones like sure. that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, I think the you said the ending, uh, you know, like undoes any of the goodwill. I feel like we said the exact same thing about the Nightfall one, and I think I think that's probably the point of these books. So I think they're hitting the beats that they intend to, but then I think. From our perspective, it's a missed opportunity because I think there's a more interesting story there that they get so close to and then swerve away from. You know? Yeah. Um, imagine... Yeah, imagine if, if both of these issues didn't end with them just doing the murder spree at the end. They they both end the same way, basically. <laughs> Imagine if there was some thread there that, you know, maybe nobody would ever explore, but it was left there. You know, it left it left you hanging, maybe. This these both closed the loop in a way that was really just grim and unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if Imagine if. <laughs> so uh, Lois get iPad. Yeah. Uh, so the the rest of the books this week were all annuals, I believe. Um, correct. Plus, no, Har- plus Harleen. Plus Harleen. How was Harleen, Vince? I, that 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 book is good. I think. Okay. I, there's there's a lot of stuff in it that, you know, again, it's same old shit type stuff, but it it looks great. And there's some interesting thematic ideas in there, especially regarding Two-Face. Okay. So, Vince, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Pull Pirate or Pulp for the rest of these annuals. Um, Oh, boy. Okay. Batman annual. Oh, you guys. Pull. Jeez. I can't believe I'm I'm saying it. Let me tell you you why. Yes, you did. Jesus is king. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Zach loved Jesus is king. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I never I'm putting, said that. I'm putting you on blast. Um, I never said that. <laughs> uh, Batman, the Batman Annual is a Jorge Fornes 
Tour de Force with 10 bonus pages of Mike Norton art. So really no reason to miss that one if you're a fan of either of those artists, which I am. Those two happen to be two of my probably top 10 or 20 favorite artists in comics. So like that was that was Vince Nip, even though it was a Tom King book. Okay. Uh, Batman and the Outsiders. Um, Pirate. Okay. Uh, let's see. Nightwing. We don't condone pirating. <laughs> Nightwing is pulp all the way. All right. And Wonder Woman. We don't have one between pirate and pull, so I'm going to be generous and say pull. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, folks, that does it for our show for this week. It's a little bit of a shorter show this week, but last week's show was so overly long, you're probably sick of us anyway. Uh, we also just started doing our segment on uh, Make My Multiversity about the Hickman Dawn of X books, so check that out. Continue to check out uh, Zach and Brian Watch the Watchmen on Mondays. Uh, and you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. And I am at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, you can find him uh, just collecting every Joker comic that ever was, bathing himself in the glory, and then painting his face as the Joker before going to bed every single night. I'm the Joker, baby. There it is. See you next He was an undercover grandpa. Dr. Manhattan?